If you're enjoying today's podcast, please join Father James Martin and Jamie Marisotis for a discussion on human work, spirituality, and empathy during their virtual live event, Finding Spiritual Meaning in Human Work, on February 14th. Sign up at luminafoundation.org slash events. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're continuing our coverage of the report on how clerical sexual abuse cases were handled in the Archdiocese of Munich over a 74-year period. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a sunny and cold Rome, Colleen. And we have a president. Yes, it's it's the old president, right? <laughs> yes, his name is Sergio Mattarella, and he's from Sicily, from Palermo. A new report accuses Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI of poorly handling sexual abuse cases in a German diocese. This new report threatens to tarnish his legacy amid a German church scandal in which at least 3,600 people are believed to have been victims of clergy abuse over the past 70 years. The report examined sexual abuse cases over a 74-year period between 1945 and 2019 and was carried out by an independent law firm commissioned by the church. So last month, an investigation into sexual abuse in the Archdiocese of Munich and Freising in Germany found that Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and Cardinal Reinhard Marx, the current archbishop, had mishandled abuse cases when they headed the diocese. And on last week's show, we covered the four cases that Benedict is accused of mishandling, and we told you that we were awaiting official responses from the Archdiocese and from Benedict. So Jerry, let's just start with a little update. We're recording this on Tuesday, February 1st, and as of right now, Benedict still hasn't issued a response. But last Thursday, Cardinal Marx did make a public statement. What did he say? Well, Cardinal Marx apologized. He admitted that he had done things wrong, and he said that he was committed to staying on for the moment. He'd offered his resignation in the past, but if there was a question of the future resignation, he would discuss this in a synodal way with people, Mm -hmm. and he didn't exclude that possibility. And he made very clear that the archdiocese will work to try and help the victims, assist the victims in various ways, and they've put up some structures for that. Right. Cardinal Marx said that he would uh, consult with other people and that he wouldn't make a decision to resign if he makes that decision alone. And that's part of this broader synodal spirit that we're seeing pick up traction in the church as a whole right now, but especially in the German church, which has its synodal way underway. This is an effort to be more of a listening church. And in Germany in particular, right now, the discussions in the German synodal path meetings, which are happening again this week, are about the importance of lay people working with bishops and even having a role in the selection of bishops. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But if you want more background on the German synodal path, we have a deep dive episode on it from last year, and I'll link to that in the show notes. So even though we haven't had a comment from Benedict as of yet, a number of people have been making their opinions known about Benedict's handling of the abuse crisis and how they think he should respond to the allegations. 
For example, the National Catholic Reporter here in the States has joined the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests, or SNAP, in calling for Benedict to give up his title as Pope Emeritus. In the meantime, an editorial in the Vatican newspaper denounced using Benedict as an easy scapegoat for the larger abuse issue. Now, Jerry, at the end of last week, you were able to interview Father Hans Zollner, who's a Jesuit priest and a top expert in preventing the abuse of minors in the church. What did he have to say about Benedict's involvement in this report and how he should respond? He was very clear about several things. He, he, he looked at it, first of all, from the f- reaction to Benedict's response to the Munich report. Right. So just a reminder to our listeners that Benedict contributed 82 pages of evidence to the investigators. Yes. And Father Zollner confirmed what I had picked up from other sources as well. And what I mentioned last week in in our discussion was that Benedict signed the 82 pages, but he didn't write them. And we know for a fact now, and Father Zollner confirmed that there was a a canon lawyer, an Opus Dei priest from the Opus Dei University in Rome, a German, who was brought in by Archbishop Ganschwein to help prepare the report. Also, there was a German lawyer, a civil lawyer from Cologne, a layman who defended also Cardinal Wölke. He was brought in. And uh, I seems maybe other people as well were brought in. They were given a lot of background information, thousands of pages, I believe. Wow. So they had all the background information relative to the cases. What arrived to Benedict in, I think, early December, maybe, was these questions plus this amount of information. The first response, I understand now, also from Zollner, was not to respond mm-hmm. to the questions. Right. And then they reconsidered it, and then they worked hard to reply to the questions. But that's big information to say that those lawyers and whoever else was involved in preparing Benedict's response, his 82 pages of contribution to this report, that they had the minutes that showed he was there, and they said anyway three times that he didn't. I, what does Hans Zollner make of that, and what do you make of that? We just note the fact. And for example, in the situation where Benedict said he was not at the January 15 meeting in 1980, which discussed the case of the famous Father Hullerman, mm-hmm. who's still alive, by the way. He's 92 years old, just a little younger than mm-hmm. Benedict. Uh, they also had the minutes of the meeting. Mm-hmm. So they could see from the minutes that Benedict was present. Got it. So it is really very difficult to understand why Benedict says he was not present. And he says it three times. When, in fact, they have the minutes showing that he was present. So last week we talked about how there were a number of issues uh, with Benedict's contribution to the report, some questionable arguments and this factual error. What were some of the issues that you and Father Zollner discussed? Uh, Hans Zollner said that what is disturbing in a way was the kind of the theology that underpinned the responses or revealed in the responses. Mm, What do you mean by that? One of the instances was said that a priest who wasn't wearing his clerical garb, Mm -hmm. say his collar, he wasn't identifiable as a priest. If he exposed himself in front of young girls, he was acting in a private capacity, and so his bishop wasn't responsible. Right, which doesn't really align with you know, how we understand priesthood theologically. You don't stop being a priest depending on what you're wearing or what capacity you're acting in. 
Absolutely. So uh, Hans Zollner said this was disturbing from the from the theolog- theological point of view. We released another one last week about, you know, there was this argument in Benedict's contribution that if there wasn't physical contact, it didn't count as abuse. Did he maybe comment on that? Exactly. And he said that this really goes against the, the way that the theology of the church is trying to understand the abuse question and deal with it. And so this reflects a kind of a theology and morality that seems inconsistent with that of Benedict. Right. And these theological issues that you raised, especially, I think, are alarming coming from Benedict or being signed by Benedict because he is such a great theological thinker. So, Jerry, what does Hans Zollner think that Benedict should do now? Well, Hans Zollner is on, already on record as saying that he thought that Benedict should respond very simply and say, I made some mistakes. I apologize for them. I express my closeness to the victims. Something very humble, something very simple. The general feel that I'm hearing from people in Germany and from people in Rome is that that should be sufficient. But now, if we're going to get a long response, and I think also Father Zollner shares this, is that this may raise more questions than it answers. So, Jerry, does this argument that we're hearing in in some places in the U.S. that Benedict should give up his title as Pope Emeritus, uh, have you heard that from anyone in Rome or in Germany? I've not heard it from in Rome or Germany. Uh, I have heard from, and everybody has heard from, some of the leading bishops, the president of the conference in the first place of the German Bishops' Conference, who says Benedict should apologize. And two other bishops have said similar things. And this is quite strong when you think the president of the Bishops' Conference of Germany is saying this. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how this all fits into the larger reform process that's underway in Germany and in the church. Stay with us. At the beginning of this episode, we mentioned that Cardinal Marx has said he wouldn't make the decision to step down alone. He said, in a synodal church, I will no longer make this decision on my own. Now, this comes just before the German synodal path has its next meeting from Thursday through Saturday of this week, where they're discussing this very question of how to share power between bishops and lay people. And at the same time, the global church is undergoing a synodal process, the main themes of which are communion, participation, and mission. And surely the question of lay people in power is being discussed in local synodal meetings around the world right now. Jerry, I'm sure this broader reform, this broader shift towards synodality came up in your conversation with Hans Zollner. What did you have to say about where we as a church go next? Well, I, I think there are two points I would make. First of all, The German synodal path was triggered by the abuse situation in Germany. That's what led to the decision to go down the synodal path. So there's a direct link. Second thing, I was very struck in the conversation with Father Zollner. He's been working now for more than 10 years at the center of this and has visited so many countries and is really one of the world's top experts in the field and knowledgeable. He said, I've come to understand that in the abuse issue, we've got like 
he used the German word, but let me use the, an English word, a kind of a microcosm of the challenges facing the church today. You've not just got the sex abuse, you, you've got the question of the use of power in the church, the sharing of uh, power between lay people and, and, and clergy, how they work together. Uh, you've got the question of how you reach decisions. And so it's the whole broad issue, I, I think our listeners can understand well, when I say the microcosm of the challenges facing the church today. Because when we see kind of the level to which this was a systemic issue, right, the fact that this this report that looked at 74 years found that every archbishop of the Munich diocese mishandled abuse to some degree, it, it shows that there must be something wrong with the system. So I wonder what Father Zollner thinks about how that system should change as one of the foremost experts on preventing abuse. Oh, he's very clear that you have to involve lay people. You've got to have independent outsiders. And I said to him, well, isn't this like what Pope Francis is trying to do when he started the synodal process? And he said, yes. He said, it combines well. But the synodal process, he says, has also uh, shouldn't be a closed shop. It's got to also have outside input. Hmm. Outside the church? How, how does he mean? External input. The abuse question was handled as a closed shop. The bishops, the priests, it was kept in a club. And when lay people were involved, they were dealt with differently. There was protection of the institution and its representatives, but they made a distinction on the representatives. The priests were treated one way and, and the lay people were treated another way. And so maybe all these things are converging in some way. Trying to address the abuse question really maybe requires the synodal path, as outlined now by the Pope. And maybe even something more that is not yet factored into it, like external audits and such like. I think that there is a real potential for the response to this to be something that can lead us to a much healthier way of being church. And it seems like that was the common thread in the responses from Cardinal Marx on behalf of the diocese and from your conversation with Father Zollner, and even from the president of the German Bishops Conference who was asking for Benedict to apologize. It seems like in all those cases, People really see a need for a larger reform in how power is shared in the church and in how to achieve justice for the victims. And the open question now is what that should look like. So obviously, this story continues to unfold, and we'll be reporting on it here on Inside the Vatican and at americamagazine.org. So as always, check out our coverage online and keep an eye on your podcast feed. We'll have plenty more on this. So each week on Inside the Vatican, we always try to cover the most important and newsmaking stories out of the Vatican, but we're not always able to discuss every story in depth like we're doing with the German report. But there are two major headlines in the last couple of weeks that have caught the attention of the worldwide mainstream news media, so we wanted to talk briefly about those now. The first one we'll talk about is that Pope Francis made headlines again last week for a comment that he made during his Wednesday catechesis, in which he said that parents of LGBT children should never condemn their child, which is a beautiful message and fits in with a lot of what the Pope has been saying about care for LGBT people and the style of God being tenderness, compassion, and mercy. But we wanted to take an extra moment to discuss this because the context in which the Pope said this was also beautiful. So, Jerry, could you sum up what the Pope was talking about in this Wednesday catechesis? Pope Francis has 
for several weeks now been focusing on St. Joseph. And St. Joseph as a parent, as the father. And this that particular week in which he touched on the don't condemn your child, he highlighted how St. Joseph as parent faced different dangers and problems. And he's saying to parents, you as parents, like Joseph, you will face children with problems. How do you deal with them? He said, parents who have a child with really serious illness. And of course, there are some parents who really come in to blame the child for they can't do this and they can't do that because they've got this suffering. Parents who have children who do badly in school and continually do badly in school, and then they begin to condemn the children. Parents whose children get, he said, into mischief and maybe have an take a car and have a crash, and so they condemn the child. And he said, parents who have LGBT children, he said, do not condemn your child. And that was the strong message, he said. And he said, you should, like St. Joseph, you should learn to read in the problems you are facing with your child, to learn to read what God is saying to you and how you can find some solutions. And it was a very beautiful speech, and I, I, I think we published it in America. We did. We published the full text. But it it, it continues coming back. You know, he, Francis, uh, Francis always says, God deals with us in closeness, tenderness, and love. And he is say, saying to the parents, that is your track. So even though this wasn't necessarily a message like only about LGBT children, which I think I understand why this became the headline because it's a it's a much needed message and people find that very reassuring coming from the pope but we wanted to talk about how this is this was a broader message of encouragement to parents and that brings us to uh, a second time this has happened already this calendar year in the first week of january pope francis made headlines for saying that couples who choose to have pets instead of children are selfish that's what the headline was that's not exactly what he said he said there's a selfishness in people not wanting to adopt children and then he switched into talking about the demographic winter, the so-called demographic winter in Europe, in which there aren't enough children being born to pay for the care expenses of older people, which has some people in Europe very concerned. And so he said that many couples are opting to have pets instead of children, and said that that denial of fatherhood or motherhood diminishes us and takes away our humanity, which caused an uproar and became the headline, you know, Pope says pet owners are selfish. Jerry, was there more to this than what caught the headlines? Well, so there's there's several points one could make here. First of all, his uh, headlines are put to attract attention, to sell the paper or the media to involve things. Which we should say we're not immune to either. Yeah, we're not. You know, I remember Pope Francis in Buenos Aires. He talked a lot about pets, dogs, mascots. And he said, we're spending so much money on these and we have people struggling to find something to eat. Is this how we should be living? And th that's his core message. He's saying, he's not saying you don't have pets. He recognizes the value of pets for people. But he, he's saying, let's not uh, distort our vision of life. He was saying in this particular case, it was a question of in Europe, in Italy, and the audience was mainly Italian. We have a negative birth rate. There are more people dying than are being born. So you're having a declining population. And Francis is saying, we've got to think, 
are we just going to invest our money in pets, but he would also say in luxury goods, in cars, etc., rather than to keep a, a style of life which excludes having children? Yeah, and I think that a reason that these stories blow up so much is that they touch on things that are really important in people's lives and are really intimate decisions. So I guess the question is, how does the Vatican, do they try to correct the headline when something like this happens, where a, a small comment becomes the whole story? Almost never is the short answer. <laughs> I think we're not hearing corrections, but what we do see is that there's a mighty amount of coverage given to the Pope. And he, he, he is reaching people. And maybe by this headline, misleading as it can be, if people go and read beyond the headline, they, they will get a message. Right. So this is a Pope who often speaks off the cuff, but those comments are usually better understood in context. And so that's exactly what we try to give here on Inside the Vatican is some additional context. So Jerry, thank you for taking some time to give us some additional context uh, on these important stories this week. I appreciate it. Thank you. And we're recording on the 1st of February, which is Lunar New Year, the beginning of the celebrations by Chinese Vietnamese, Korean, and others. So we wish them all a happy year of the tiger. Happy year of the tiger. We'll see you next week, Jerry. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Robert Balliser at the Jesuit Curia and Kara Hamlin. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. The best way to support our work on the show is by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time.